for three years on a grant, and I did that and recovered some of my economic. And uh, then I retired, got Social Security, so I'm in good shape now. But there were a lot of people like me who put uh, not just time but money into these movements. And it wasn't me so much as some of my colleagues who were practicing law and earning maybe bigger returns from that. Uh, they invested heavily in these things, and as well as their time and effort. But the movement grew. Um, the church I had given up on. I grew up as a Presbyterian. I left the Presbyterian church at one point um, and was away from it for quite a few years, but I came back in the 1980s and my church, my present church in Cooperstown, New York, is a Morelite church. I wrote the Morelite resolutions in 1992 and we passed them in 94. And um, I had contacts with Presbyterians for lesbians and gays. I went to several Morelite national conferences. Um, uh, as part of the, um, um, one of the things that grew out of my PLGC contact was contact with Mitzi Henderson, who was a staunch ally of, of this organization and More Light. And uh, she was well connected in Chicago with the seminary. She became president of PFLAG, Parents, Friends of Lesbians and Gays, and we were struggling to get them to recognize transgender people and there was resistance in the chapters. So we decided to go national. We decided to go to the national organization and not just wrestle with all these PFLAG chapters individually. And the executive director, Sandra Gillis and Mitzi were uh, open to this. And so I wrote the resolutions. Mitzi introduced them to the board at the PFLAG annual meeting that year in Indianapolis. And lo and behold, they created a space for transgender people, and that eventually grew into their organizational structure as a division of what they do, and uh, and it survives today. I, I managed it for one year, but then the real people arrived, people with children who were transgender, or parents who, children who had a transgender parent, I mean, there were all sorts of, so, um, there were some things that I kept in contact with, although I had given up financing people and going to conferences and doing things or even counseling with people informally. But I came back last year uh, because I learned that um, I started, I became aware of all of the problems around the world that gay and lesbian people and transgender people are having. There are 82 countries where being gay or lesbian is a crime. Um, I met a man named Mark Kiemba, a Ugandan pastor in the Unitarian denomination. He is the only pastor in Uganda that has, has ministered to GLBT people in that country. And his life is literally at risk for it. He has a family. 
He runs a school in his hometown of Masaka, Uganda, which is about two and a half hours south of Kampala on the shores of Lake Victoria. It's a fairly big city, actually. But he has 800 uh, poverty children, is the way he describes them. These are people that don't have the ordinary means to pay for a school. Apparently in Uganda you have to pay even for the government school or something. Um, and if you can't, you're just not in school. So he, he has a school for those children. And he also has AIDS orphans about 40 of them who actually have the disease and many of his other pupils are the children of AIDS victims. And uh, Mark was in this country uh, to some extent to take the heat off of himself so he wouldn't be there if they decided to arrest him. And the other reason was to raise money and educate people about what was happening in Uganda. And. Um, so anyone interested in this should watch the film by Roger Ross Williams, a documentary that came out in 2013, 12 or 13. Uh, it's called God Loves Uganda. And it's the story of how American religious conservatives, cult leaders really, went to Uganda and convinced the Ugandan parliament that uh, they should persecute gays to the extent of putting them to death uh, in certain situations. That law is now in suspense, but the laws that were on the books before that are bad enough. Uh, and Uganda is only one of many countries that have these laws. They're not always enforced uniformly or um, punitively, but the, the fact that they're there allows other people to take the law in their own hands and, and with impunity punish gay and lesbian people without facing the consequences themselves. And so there are people stoned to death occasionally. It ha hasn't happened in any mass way, but it, had, it happened just recently in Sierra Leone. Um, and um, these, if you watch the film God Loves Uganda, you see that anti-Western feeling in some of these countries is conflated with the GLBT issue. And so this is a way of saying, they, they're well aware that GLBT people in the United States are now out, so to speak. I mean, we're out, but there's, the persecution doesn't necessarily go away when you're out. But to the African uh, inclined to hate gays, or has been taught that, uh, this becomes they, they feel like these gay people in Uganda are imitating Western culture and that it's a Western culture problem. Hence the title, God Loves Uganda, because Uganda is more Christian than this fallen nation, this evil fallen nation, America, which has a bad reputation for other reasons, perhaps too militarily. And uh, where the church stands in all of this is so this is, a, I did some bookings for this man in New York and got him dates for speaking in New York and elsewhere. And I wasn't the only one helping him by any means. He stayed in Otsego County where I live. Uh, I, I'm from the Cooperstown area. Um, he stayed with us a week 
uh, he preached in his in the Unitarian Church, and he preached in our Presbyterian Church. Uh, he went to a Rotary Club meeting, and gave a good presentation about his school. Uh, he went to the SUNY State University um, Pride Conference. They have a Pride Conference for people come from. I think they had 15 other campuses represented out of 60 that have uh, these sexuality and gender offices. They have students that they're counseling and they brought them in. We had more than 100 people at SUNY Oneonta last October and Mark was the keynote speaker. And it's a cautionary tale for Americans to hear that being gay and lesbian in this country there's something to celebrate, but there's also, it's, it's a tragic situation around the world. And it, it, we're now looking into, our, our church has begun to look into the possibility of having refugees or asylum seekers. So when you ask me what else is there to be done, I mean, we certainly still have our own struggles what I've learned in my years of activism, um, dating back to my days with the NAACP, is if you, if you struggle to liberate somebody else, and you see their struggle as yours, even though you're not part of it, you'll liberate yourself eventually. That's, that's my message. That's, that's what it takes. You Deep have, breath with your punchline. <laughs> you have to get behind somebody else first. The, the tragic dynamic of democracy is that it takes often, tragically, persecution, abuse, and oppression in order to build a community of resistance. And these organizations within the Presbyterian Church are our community of resistance. And those communities sometimes take generations to build and to have the effect of overthrowing the abuse. And and it you know, and in some cases hundreds of years. What has amazed me is how quickly some of these things, and I, in some ways I give the internet the credit for this, the, the, the communications that we had to deal with in the 1960s were so cumbersome. I had to write letters to people. I had to type on a manual typewriter on a correcting selectric. <laughs> you know, the, it, it literally took months to accomplish what you can do in a day now. Uh, so they're moving more quickly, um, but also the, the prejudice and the abuse moves more quickly. We're running a little short on time. If you could so, just maybe give some closing comments about the significance of this event to you and um, also to the to the movement yes. that, you're, that you're participating in. People, people in these organizations need each other. They need more than Facebook. They need more than Twitter. 
They need more than the internet. They need each other. They need to hug each other. They need to see each other. They need to, to touch each other spiritually and worship together. And that's why it's so important and energizing to come to these things and spend the money and the time that it takes. And um, you just have to recharge your batteries. You have to, and you have to find, you know, they're, they're entitled to a victory lap here. I mean, many of these people, I, I have suffered little, very, very little compared to I'm kind of a stealth person because I can go either way. These are committed people and they're in committed relationships. And I'm basically an ally is what I am. But to see them take this victory lap, nothing could have kept me away from here. I just, I, I, I wanted to see these people again. I've seen them over the years, many of them. So that's important. It's also important for them to find a new direction, to find, to see where, and, and also we have a, a whole new generation who, who hasn't grown up with the kinds of abuse and, and oppression that they have, and hopefully won't experience that, but hopefully will take that energy and, and go and useful ways and find that next group of people the immigrants the poor and figure out where that's what they need to do that's what they, they need to find that next group that needs liberation and put their shoulders to that wheel you study the I teach the women's suffrage movement the women's rights movement I teach classes on this. Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton stepped aside for the abolition of slavery. And they waited until after the Civil War to resume that struggle. Um, and uh, Susan B. Anthony is my hero. Just, there was no better person on the face of this planet as far as I'm concerned. But she found ways over a lifetime to keep that movement moving. She died in 1913. She never saw the vote in New York. She saw the day when some women were voting in states like Montana and so on. But it, uh, so the, the, these people are role models it's good to see the younger. We've got enough younger people here to, uh, I'm 74 years old. It's also important for me to be able to look back. <laughs> um, so I'm here for my own mental health. <laughs> I don't get a chance to share on that often. Um, but. Thank you very much for sharing. It was yeah. incredibly informative for me. And, uh, yeah. Well, my, my second mother's name was Anna.